Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. It's funny, um, the Lord uh, has so much grace and mercy for us that uh, he'll even allow us to take beer money and give it to him instead, and there you go. That's the foundation for his stewardship. That's pretty funny, because you know why it's so funny? Because I did the same thing. Um, that's why I think that's so funny. I, uh, when I got saved, I said, well, I used to spend about this much at the bar, so I'll give that much. That was gone anyway. I don't do that anymore, so I started giving my beer money. And uh, so anyway, and uh, it's now not obviously. I haven't drank for over 30 years, so please don't, uh, don't get the wrong idea, okay? Been, it's been north of 40, it's been uh, 32 years since I had uh, one drink of alcohol on purpose. And uh, I, had, I had wine by accident one time in communion because I went to a Lutheran church. But uh, that was a half ounce. My kids took it and went, <clears throat> they went like that. And I said, ah, you don't have to take that, that's fine. Uh, but So that was by accident. Other than that, there was nothing on purpose. How's that? We're talking about faith. We're talking about fortified faith. It says in Hebrews that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So there is no such thing as blind faith. I mean, people, people talk about that. Whenever someone says, oh, that's just blind faith. There is no such thing as blind faith because, blind, because faith sees the end from the beginning because we're seeing it from God's perspective. See, blind faith assumes that, well, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but here it goes, and they take a step off a cliff. That's not the way God wants us to live. What he want, how he wants us to live is if he directs us to do something, then we obey, but obeying a directive from the Lord is not anywhere near blind, is it? If the Lord tells you to do something, like for instance, when Jesus told Peter, step out of the boat, was that blind faith or was that mere obedience to the voice of the creator of the universe? It was obedience. So because he stepped out of the boat, what do you think held Peter up when he was standing on top of the H2O in motion, which is like waves of water, okay? What do you think held him up? But what do you think was under, what was that, what, what held him up? The words of Jesus held him up. Water can't hold you up unless it's below 32 degrees, okay? The words of Jesus is what he was walking on. So when, we're, when we take a step out of the boat like Peter did in the book of Mark when he talked, what we're doing is we're not stepping out blindly, we're literally stepping out on God's word. Because when Peter said, if it's you, bid me come, and what did Jesus say? He said, come. So Peter scrambled out of the boat and walked out, walked out to him, right? And he started walking, he was walking on the supernatural substance of the words of Jesus. And he was walking on the water toward Jesus. And then he took his eyes off Jesus and started looking at everything around him. And what happened? He sank. 
Why? Because faith comes by hearing. He got out based on hearing, but then doubt also comes by hearing and seeing. And he started looking around and doubt started coming in and he stopped looking at Jesus and he sank. And that's, that's the nature of faith. Faith is not something you get and it's yours forever. Faith is something that grows, it comes and it goes based upon the input in your life right now. See, you cannot live on yesterday's faith. You can have a foundation, but now faith is, right? Isn't that what it says right there? Hebrews chapter 11, now faith is. It's a present progressive thing. It's now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the sixth sense. One, two, three, four, five, and then six. See, you have, you, you, you have learned and we have learned as people to trust our five senses, right? So if I see, I see a car coming, I know enough not to pull out and turn left in front of them, right? Because I see them, right? So I, I see things and I trust what I see. That's why sometimes optical illusions get, get you going a little bit because you look at something and you think it's one way and it's something else. You know, these rooms that look like they're crooked and, you know, goofy things like that. But we've learned to trust our senses. So what we see what is, what is uh, Missouri called? The show me state. I'll believe it when I see it, right? That's Missouri. So we believe what we see, we believe what we smell, we believe what we taste, right? We believe what we hear, and we believe what we feel. But God is saying, why don't you believe what I say that goes beyond your five senses? Even if you feel a certain way, maybe you can still believe that God has provided for your healing in the atoning work of Christ. Maybe when you see that your checkbook balance is lower than what you'd like it to be, maybe you can believe that your God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So maybe we can have a relationship with God such that when we hear his word, we are willing to believe his word beyond what we can perceive through our five senses, thereby making it the sixth sense in our lives. And if we're, if we're willing to do that, we can have a supernatural life. We can have a life that goes beyond being a mere flesh creature. We can go, have a life that goes beyond being a mere mortal. And we can live supernaturally. And because my shoe's untied, I'm gonna tie it, excuse me, so I don't trip on it and then you'll all laugh after I'm okay because I won't get injured. There we go. Okay, there. I see a worried mother in the front row here worried I'm gonna step on it and trip, so I had to tie it quick. <laughs> I know how that works. So faith being the sixth sense is where we're at. So when, you, when, when everything around you says something different, we can still react the way God has told us to react. When everything around you wants to, what we have a term, flash out, right? Which means lose your temper and blow your stack or whatever it is, right? Everything in you wants to go blah, 
and get angry and tell one of those things, right? Tell you what's on my mind. The sixth sense says, I don't have to do that. God is my defender. God will protect me. God will make a way for me. I don't have to defend myself because God will defend me. And I've found in my own personal life that every time I defend myself, God says, oh, you're going to take care of this? Oh, let's see how you do. And he stands over here while I'm getting the tar beat out of me trying to defend myself. As soon as I say, God, I'm not going to defend myself. I trust you. He goes, it's about time. And he steps in and takes care of things. See, and that's trusting him, but that doesn't come just by reading it on a page. That comes from having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, it's not just the words on the page. The words on the page, you always want to know who's the author, right? So what we're really referring to here is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you start that with a decision that you say, Jesus, I believe that you can run my life better than I can. I believe that you did everything necessary to bring me in relationship to God. And Jesus, I trust you, and I'm gonna give my life to you. You are Lord of my life. You're not just a life enhancement program, you're Lord of my life. And when you start obeying the word, that's when last week, if you were here, I talked about the 18-inch journey from your head to your heart. Believing in your head means just that you have an opinion. It's when you have a conviction of your heart that you have true heart conversion. Many people believe, if you ask them, they'll say, oh yeah, Jesus is the son of God. Oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, he died on the cross. Yeah, sure, I, I believe that, no problem. Well. The question is not whether you believe it. That's great that you believe it. The question is, has it changed your life in any way, shape, or form that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Has it changed your life? Because if it hasn't made that journey from being an opinion in your head to being a conviction in your heart, if it hasn't made that 18-inch journey, then it won't change your life. It'll just be, well, yeah, I believe that. You believe it, that's great, but has it changed your life? My testimony was, I'll shorten it up, my testimony was that I was at Western Michigan University and someone had been observing my life when I was 21 and they started talking to me about heaven and hell and what happens and started talking to me about being a Christian and I said I was a Christian and I knew all the right answers because I knew all kinds of Bible verses because my dad used to pay me to memorize Bible verses. My dad was smart. He would pay me. He knew how to motivate me. Give the boy a silver dollar. He'll learn. He'll do anything, right? Or, 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 right? And give him a dollar. So, so I knew all the right stuff. I had all the right answers here. But then he said to me, he says, so you think you're a Christian? You think you're going to heaven? I said, yep. And he said the, the, the word to me, he said, then why don't you act like it? I told him to, where he could go. Um, and he eventually said to me very kindly and graciously, that's not the point. The point is I'm, I'm afraid. You think you're going to heaven and you might be going there. And it, well, I didn't get saved right away, but I tell you, that confrontation changed my life. I'm so appreciative for him being so direct 
with me that I could not continue in my head knowledge. I had to come to grips with the fact that if your head knowledge has not changed your life, it hasn't changed your life. And if it hasn't changed your life, is it real? Or is it just head knowledge at that point in time? We've got to have a life change. What we believe has to change the way we act. See, when Peter heard those words of Jesus, he stepped out of the boat. Why Why was he able to step out of the boat? Because he had a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, was he perfect? Heavens no. He denied Jesus and cussed about it later, okay? So it wasn't because he was perfect. It was because he had a relationship with Jesus. So just because you get a relationship with Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It just means that you have a relationship with Jesus. And when you do blow it, he's going to be right there saying, it's all right. Come on, get up. Get get off the ground. Get out of the water. Let's go on. Let's walk back to the boat. Let's keep moving. There's grace, but the grace is not there so you can continue in sin. Your grace is there so that you can get free from sin. That's what the grace is for. Grace is not not meant to empower sin. Grace is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to sin. The word of God is what brings faith. We get faith by putting the word of God in our hearts. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is something that's static. It's it's not static, it grows. It comes and goes. There's an ebb and flow in faith. In your own life, there's times in your life, if you've been saved for any length of time, you'll, you'll testify to this probably in your own life, and that is there are times when you feel like, where's the devil? I'm gonna rip his lips off, right? And there's other times they're going, the devil's on my doorstep, what do I do, right? Why is that? You're the same person, God's the same God, why is that? Because we have considered circumstances or we've considered the word of God. Why was Peter able to walk on water one day and deny Christ just a few weeks later? Because faith ebbs and flows based upon our word intake and our, where we're given our, our attention, where we're given our, uh, our, our, our eyesight and our consideration. It ebbs and flows. So the, the key is keep your eyes on God's word and keep your eyes on Jesus so that you can stay strong. So, you, so we don't get to the point where we're a whimpering, quivering bowl of jello, you know, that's, it's just a matter of keeping, keeping yourself strong. Now, if you do get to the, I've been to the Bolo Jello, I've been there, okay? And when you're there, you just need somebody to come alongside and say, hey, that's not who you are. Come on, let's go. And they walk with you and you go, okay. That's why we need each other to help each, and then you encourage yourself in the Lord. And the next thing you know, you've got the S on your chest again and you're super person, right? Actually, you've got a big C on your chest because you're a little Christ. We believe in our heart, but you confess with your mouth. So there's always, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So how does someone even get saved? You gotta believe in your heart. Doesn't say agree with it in your head. It says believe in your heart and then you confess with your mouth. For with the heart one believes unto salvation. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
See, the heart and the mouth are linked. That's, all I can, that's the best word I can use. They're linked. Whatever is in your heart will come out of your mouth eventually. So out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart will come out of your mouth when you're squeezed, right? So if you are squeezed and naughty words come out, maybe better check the content of your heart, right? I'm messing with you now, I know that. No condemnation, just trying to, the word is a mirror and the word always tells you who you are. It says the wise man remembers what he looks like, but the foolish person forgets what they look like when they look into the, the mirror of the word of God. So when we're squeezed, when life puts the squeeze on us, what comes out of our mouth is evidence, undeniable, not an opinion, it's the fact when the, when the world puts a squeeze on us, what comes out of our mouth is evidence of what's in our heart. If it's roar and anger, we got anger in our heart. If it's prayers to God and talk, reminding God of his word, then that's what's in our heart. If it's other things, that's what's in our heart. So out of the mouth, out of the, mouth the heart speaks. So the mouth and the heart are inexplicably, or I don't know how it exactly it works, but the scripture, many different places, talks about the fact that the heart and the mouth are linked. And whatever's in your heart's eventually gonna come out of your mouth. So, oh, be careful, little mouth, what we say, right? Oh, be careful, little heart, what we allow into our heart. So faith comes when the word of God is planted in the soil of our hearts. The scripture talks about in Mark, it's very clear also in Luke, we're gonna to refer to the passage in Luke. It's talking about the sower sows the word. And I'm gonna read it quickly here. It says, Luke chapter eight. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. That's people that when you, you talk to them, they look at you and go, and, go, and they walk away, okay? Uh, it says the enemy comes right away and just steals it right away. Then it says, then there's other ones. They come, but the ones, and there's other seed that's sown on the rocks. It says, but the ones that are on the rocks are those who when they hear, they receive, receive the word with joy, but they have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, they fall away. Anybody know anybody that prayed a prayer? Maybe it was you. You prayed a prayer, and then when trouble came, you just went right back to the way you used to be. Anybody ever done that? I did it about three times, okay? I think I got saved when I was 13. I got saved again when I was like 17. I got saved again when I was 19, okay? And when I say I got saved, I mean I prayed the prayer. And then when I was 21, I actually prayed the prayer. I meant it. I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit and I've never been the same. 
So that's why I don't worry about people who say, oh, those people, they're just making an emotional decision. But you know what? They're making a step toward God. It's okay. Don't condemn them. Just try to help them. They might fall away, but maybe they'll come back. And you know, I'm glad nobody gave up on me after it was 13, 16, 17, 19, right? Took me five times before I finally got it, right? And every time somebody says, oh, we got saved. And well, I prayed the prayer, but I fi- it finally took. And I think I've been all four kinds of this soil. You know, I was the hard soil and then I became the rocky soil and then I was the thorny soil. And finally it was like, okay, I'm good soil. And it finally sprouted and I was born again. See, so that's, it's not just, you're not one kind of soil. Your heart is not one type of soil forever. I believe that your heart can change. My heart certainly changed. That's why Jesus encourages us in scripture, don't let your heart be hardened. So the condition of your heart is also flexible and it changes, and it changes with your attitudes and your decisions. You can get a hard heart just by being unforgiving, and when you have a hard heart, what does it say? The word will bounce off a hard heart, right? So be careful you don't allow hardness to come into your heart because then the word can't penetrate into your heart. Then there was those that, that fell among the thorns and when they heard they, got, they were out and they, they got choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of life and they brought no fruit to maturity. But then there were the ones that fell on good ground and they heard the word and with a noble and a good heart and they kept it and they bear fruit with patience. So the heart condition. We talked about the hard heart the second one is the stony heart or the, the rocky heart. A rocky heart would be considered someone that has, it looks like good soil on the outside. They do all the right things. They're excited about Jesus. They say, woohoo, yay, Jesus, go. Like, kind of like when I was putting in my lawn a few years ago. I had this one area and everything looked perfect. It had been raked and I had so meticulously raked it with one of those wide you know, aluminum rakes. And I had, we'd sowed all the seed and I had sprinklers going and we had seed down and I had straw on top of the seed. You know, I did everything the way I thought was right. And there was one, a couple areas that everything was growing. The grass was about two inches long after a couple weeks and I thought, awesome. And there was a few areas that never grew. It just, or they grew, but then they died right away. So they grow and then it just, it died. And there's this brown spots in my lawn. They were only about this big. So after a couple weeks, I thought, wow, something's wrong here. I tried to replant it. And then I dug down and you know what was down there? A big old rock about this big, about this far below the surface, there's a big rock. Well, the soil wasn't deep enough to support grass, as soon as the sun came out, it fried it because it wasn't deep enough to have um, good root system. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about if you've got hidden, thing, hidden hardness of heart. On the outside, we all, we all have met people who are hard on the outside. They have a hard heart and it's obvious, right? Y'all met those kind of people. We call them prickly pears or grumpy pants or what, whatever you want to call them. My kids called the one guy Mr. Grumpy Pants, okay? I thought that was a pretty nice title. But anyway, 
Um, we all know those kind of people. They're the kind of people that go, okay, I'm just gonna go over here. Just don't kill me, you know? Because they're bitter on the outside and the inside, everything's the same. But then there's others that they look all good, but as soon as you get past the first inch or two, it's like clunk, your shovel hits something. And it's a hardness there. It's a hidden hardness or, a, or something that's just under the surface and you don't see it until it's a little bit beyond the surface. Most of the time it's when they don't get their way. But anyway, did y'all catch that? But hidden hardness is really most of it. And unconfessed sin can be part of it or hidden sin. Um, insincere attitudes or lip service, people that are, have a hidden agenda are, are hidden hardness. People that aren't genuine are gonna be like that. But then when persecution comes for the word's sake, what happens? They fall away and they're gone. Now, what I, what I encourage all of us in is don't write those people off. Because you know what? If they came once, they'll probably come again. Just treat them kind give them grace, pray for them, and pray that God somehow get his Holy Ghost spade out and get that rock out of their life, right? Because Proverbs 28, 32 says, if you conceal your sin, you will not prosper. That's what it says. It says so, but blessed is the man who confesses and forsakes his sin. But if you conceal it, you can't prosper. So let's just, you just when those people, when you meet them, or if you are one, just it's okay. Just realize it doesn't have to be over. Then there's the third kind of soil, the cares of the world. That's when we look around and we see all the things around us and we give those things more weight or credibility than the promise that we have from God. That's allowing the cares of this world to choke out the word. It's like a weedy garden. I transplanted some... What are those things called? Daylilies? Y'all know what daylilies, they take over your front yard if you're not careful. They like go from this big to this big in about three years. I, we had some of those and I had orders from my boss. Her name is Kim. And um, she told me to move them. So I moved them. And then we transplanted them out just at the back of our property. And I was supposed to trim around them and keep them nice, but I didn't. And... Um, the weeds overgrown them and now we don't know where they are because they got choked out by the weeds, right? That's what it's like. When you, when you have the word and you don't, and you allow the, the cares of this life, you allow all the circumstances in your life to overshadow or overwrite on your heart what God has spoken to you. If you allow that to overwrite on your hard drive, if you wanna use that analogy, over top of what God has spoken to you, then the word becomes of no effect. So, so far we've talked about three kinds of soil and none of them produce any fruit, right? Now the final, an honest and a good heart. And that is a heart that hears with the intention of obeying. To hear and obey. Hear with the intention of obeying. Here with the intention that, okay, I know this is true and it's going to change the way I live my life. Hearing and obeying, that's what puts, it, that's what puts the word deep in our hearts. When we hear the word and it changes the way we think, it changes the way we act. And when, when I say it changes, that's not a passive thing. That's you hear it and you change. 
Many times I get people that say, well, if the word's in my heart, it's just gonna change me. Well, the word will change you as much as you allow the word to change you. God will not just, you hear the word and suddenly, I'm changed, I'm a robot, no. It changes you the same amount you allow it to change you because you are a free moral agent. You are the one who makes the decision to change. You say, I believe that this is true. I'm going to forgive even though they don't deserve it. I'm still gonna forgive. I'm gonna do this because this is the right thing to do because that's what God says to do. I'm going to do it. That's you changing based upon the word. That's hearing with the intention of obeying. And the word is seed. See, the word has the power to bring itself to, re, to, bring itself to pass. So when, that's a deep statement. I just brushed over it. The word, scripture, in and of itself, the word of God has enough power within itself to bring whatever it is to pass. So when the word comes into your heart, it's a seed. When you plant that seed and you water that seed and you allow that seed to stay in your good heart, it will produce good fruit in your life. See, if you put seed in the ground, this year was a great year for corn. They always say knee high by 4th of July. Shoot, by 4th of July, the corn in Allegan was this tall by 4th of July. Anybody who pays attention, I'm an old farmer at heart, so I always pay attention. And, but that didn't happen by accident. Somebody planted that seed on purpose. Somebody cultivated, somebody plowed, somebody disked, somebody fertilized, somebody sprayed for weeds, and now somebody's gonna reap the harvest, okay? But that seed, once it was planted in that prepared soil, given time, produced, I did the math on this, three kernels of corn, an average kernel of corn has about 100, maybe 170 kernels on it, one ear, the average stalk has three ears. Sometimes they can have as many as five. But if you do that, you go, one kernel produces one stalk, which produces, let's just say three for conservative. And if there's 150, let's just say there's 500 kernels. So one kernel produces 500 kernels and a big old stalk, seriously? Wow, that's some pretty good reproduction, right? And even in our natural fallen world, those kind of returns exist. One kernel. But for, to get that one kernel to do that, you have to do a whole lot of work and have a whole lot of expensive machinery and all that stuff. But my point is this, that one kernel in good soil produces huge things. Now, does that soil do anything? Does that soil, like, do you hear, do you ever, when you go past the cornfield, do you hear the soil grunting? you hear it going, ah, producing that corn? No, it just happens, right? Why? Because it's soil. See, so once you prepare your heart and you say, God, show me how to have a good heart. I want to have a good heart. And then you say, God, I'm putting this word in my heart. And you continually put that word in your heart. Do you know what's going to happen as you continually put the word in your heart and you continually obey the word of God? You are going to be almost unconsciously transformed 
You're gonna wake up one day and say, wow, if, if you had a problem with cigarettes, you're gonna say, wow, I haven't had a cigarette in like eight days and I don't even need one. That's how I quit smoking. I just put the word in. I was smoking when I was 21. I, got, I quit smoking because I just started putting the word in to such a degree and the desire for it just left. I didn't have to like have, be nervous and all that stuff. I just put so much word in my heart. The desire for those things just left the same way I quit drinking. I just put so much word in my heart. I just stopped wanting to. And I woke up one day and I said, man, I haven't done that in a long time. And I was like, knock on wood, because I was still superstitious, see? But, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. You don't want to talk about it because you don't want to jinx yourself, right? But the bottom line is, you, when you put the word in your heart and you, you consciously and aggressively put the word in your heart and you obey it with the best of your ability, what happens is that supernaturally that word will produce righteousness in you. And, you'll, and you, it'll literally be kind of like, wow, how did this happen? It's kind of like my kids grew up and they're awesome. And I'm going, wow, how did that happen? I don't remember doing things right. Well, they, they, they turned out good in spite of me. Lord, thank you. See, and if you, if you just continually do what you know to do right in front of you, eventually you'll get down the road a piece and go, wow, it all worked out. And you just trust him one step at a time. You don't have to worry about what's happening. What, oh, what about 10 miles down the road? Now I'm not, I can't worry about what's 10 miles down the road. I gotta worry about what's happening in the next step. And then Lord, lead me to my next step. And see, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own, so don't be anxious about tomorrow. That's part of just trusting God. Now you don't, it's not that you don't plan, but you don't worry. You cannot take care for tomorrow. You cannot take care of how things are gonna turn out. You can't take care if you have a child that's away from God. You cannot take that care because you can't change him because if you would, if you could change him, you would. But you can't, so you gotta trust God and we have to roll over that care upon the Lord because if you don't roll over the care, it will choke God's word in your life. You've got to roll over that care. We have to trust that the word is supernatural. Yeah, Isaiah 55, it says, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and doesn't return but, the wa but to water the earth and make it bring forth in bud. See, every time it rains, you know what happens? Things grow. Nobody has to make a decision. Congress doesn't have to pass a bill. It just happens. Why? Because that's what happens. When it rains, things grow. Good stuff and bad stuff, it all grows. It says that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Then, then God says here in Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or without purpose, but it shall accomplish what I please. It will prosper in the thing for which or the purpose for which I sent it. So when we, when we speak God's word, we are returning. It says, my word shall not return to me void or without power. So when we speak God's word, and, and when we speak God's word, we are returning God's word to him. And he says, my word shall not return to me void. How else would God's word return to him if we didn't speak it? Right? See, so... 
it's when we speak God's word and we're returning it to him. And he says, it shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. One of the reasons he sent his word is he sent his word and healed you. That's Psalm 107, 20, right? For this purpose was the son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. That's in 1 John 2. See, so when we speak God's word, God watches over his word to perform it. And he watch, He said, no, they're, they're saying what I said. We're, we're gonna, this is good deal. Let's make this, this is a good thing. Let's go. He's saying to his angels. So faith comes by hearing. That's your part. Hearing by the word of God. Then you prepare your heart. You water that seed by meditation. And I don't mean going like this and going, um, that's not what I'm talking about. We're in, in, in Psalm 119, seven times, it says, I will meditate on your statutes, O Lord. Seven different times throughout Psalm 119, I sat on the deck when I was on vacation. I sat on the deck one morning, drinking coffee, and I actually had two coffees because this psalm is long, 176 verses. And I counted seven times, it says, I will meditate on your statutes, O Lord. Which meditate, which simply means to go over and go over and go over and go over again. To mutter or meditate on them is the same thing. So scripture, it says, Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble and just and pure and lovely, whatever things are of a good reporter, if there's anything virtuous or anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Because faith Faith sees, faith speaks, faith obeys, faith receives, and faith acts. Faith puts into action what God shows us to do. Faith sees what's unseen. It says that the worlds were framed by the words of God. They took, that God took things that we couldn't see and everything that we see was made from things that we can't see. Now that's, Sounds like doublespeak, but it's not. Everything that we can see was formed from things that we cannot see because God spoke and created the world. 2 Corinthians 4.13, it declares, it says, I believe, therefore I speak. And death and life are in the power of the tongue. See, in faith obeys. By faith, Abraham obeyed. When, when the Lord spoke to him instructions. By faith, we can receive what we've prayed for, what we've asked for. And by faith, we act. We do what the word says. Because the Bible says in James 2, it says, faith without works is dead. So faith acts. It's not just believing, it's believing and acting upon our belief. How do we prepare our soil? How do we do it? First Thessalonians 5.8 says, let us, let us who are of the day, which means those that are saved, put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ who died for us. So we put on the helmet of salvation, but we also put on the breastplate of faith and of love. See, the enemy comes... And we have in, in Ephesians chapter five, it talks about the, in Ephesians chapter six, it talks about the armor of God. And one of 
the pieces of armor is the what? The shield of? Whereby we are able to quench all the fiery what? Darts of the enemy. That's the accusations, the, the accusations, the things that happen that the enemy throws at us. Then we put up our shield of faith. Another place it calls, us, it calls it the breastplate of faith and love. And then it, called, it talk, speaks of the helmet of salvation because we are in a battle and the enemy's out to get you. Newsflash, he's out to get all of us. Doesn't matter, we've got victory. He's a defeated foe. First John 3, one of the darts, and I need to go here, so give me about three, four more minutes. One of the darts the enemy throws, it's a huge dart. It's a dart of condemnation. It's the dart that the enemy throws at us when we blow it, when we do something that we wish we wouldn't have done. The enemy throws the dart of condemnation. And the condemnation says, see, what kind of Christian are you? What did you just do? Oh, my, my, my. Wait till they find out what you did. Right? And then you're like, oh. Right? That's what happens. And you get condemned. And when you get condemned, you know what happens? The enemy keeps pile on, piling on more condemnation. Here's a, here's a verse that can set you free. First of all, Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we say, shut up, devil. You don't have any input in my life. You're going to hell anyway. Why don't you get a head start? Okay? So... And then 1 John 3, you can tell I don't like the devil. Um, 1 John 3, 20, it says, for if our heart condemns us, sometimes it's our own heart that condemns us because you know what, darn it, we know it was wrong and we did it anyway. Right? I know none of you have never done that, but I have. And you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. So it's not even the devil condemning you. Your own heart is condemning you, saying, dude, what is up with you? And you look and you go, I don't know, I stink, right? But it says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. It's good news, people. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. You know what, God knows what you did and he still loves you. He's not gonna tell the National Enquirer, it's okay. He knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. His commandments are simple. This is easy. Look, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. We really only have, we don't, we don't have 613 commandments to keep. We've got two. Believe in the name of his son and love each other. And if you're feeling condemned, it's not of God. God says, you're not condemned. There's no condemnation for you. Just get up, let's go. Stop it. Don't, don't look in the rear view mirror. Look out the windshield. Don't, don't, be, look, don't be driving the car like this. You're gonna hurt someone. Go forward. See, that's why. That's a lot of times why people uh, have further stumblings because they're too busy doing this while they're walking, right? I know y'all think it's because of Pokemon Go, but it's not why everybody bumps into stuff anymore. 
Sometimes it's because you're turned around looking at the past, having regret. And God is saying to you tonight, no regrets. Just stop it. Put it on the cross. Let him, let, let, the, let the completed work of Christ receive payment for all the things, all the dumb things you've ever done. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about since you've been saved or if you've never accepted Christ, certainly. Let, let the atoning work of Christ, when he stretched out his hands and when he was suspended from heaven, between heaven and earth, and he paid and gave his life. He didn't just give his life so that, so that you could go to heaven someday. He gave his life so that you could have relationship with him every day until we eventually go to heaven one day. That's good news. See, good news isn't, Christianity isn't just, well, someday, by and by, pie in the sky, we're gonna have, it's gonna be good. And it is gonna be good someday, by and by in the sky. But it can be good now if we'll receive what God has done for us. Don't live another second in condemnation. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. I don't wanna know, nobody wants to know. God already knows, so what difference does it make, right? Doesn't matter what you've done. If you're feeling condemned, I want you to take a really bold step. If you say, boy, I'm just, I'm just, feeling self, my heart, my own heart, or the enemy, or whatever, I'm feeling condemned. I just, as I was sitting there tonight, I just knew this is where it had to end tonight. If you're feeling condemned, or if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, if you're feeling condemned, I want you to take a bold step and just stand up right where you are. Say, I'm just, I'm dealing with condemnation, I'm feeling condemned. She said, just stand up, just be bold, stand up. So nobody, nobody's being, nobody's dealing with condemnation, I'm the only one. Because I've been dealing with condemnation. No, I'm the only one? Oh, there's a couple more. All right, we've got some brave souls. Thank you. All right. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to uh, get people to realize you don't have to be, you don't have to. I know you say, well, I'm dealing with condemnation. Now you want me to admit it in front of everybody? Yes. That's exactly right. Yes, I do. You know why? Because that way the enemy has no hold on you because you've just told everybody it's all good. There's no more dirt to be had because you've already said it. It's a beautiful thing. So there's no condemnation. You can go ahead and sit back down, honey. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because when you're condemned, when you're feeling condemned, you can't, there's no way that you can get past it. It's like you want to believe, but you're like, you got this, it's like trying to blow up a raft and there's a hole in the other end. You can't ever get there because there's always a hole in the other end of it, right? You can tell I was just on vacation. I blew up a raft with a hole in it, okay? But condemnation, God wants to, to patch your hole in your raft and say, no, let's just let me do this for you. So let's just all close our eyes and let's just pray a prayer. Let's ask God, Say, Heavenly Father, everybody together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that there is no condemnation for me because I am in Christ Jesus. I resist condemnation. I send it far from me. I declare 
I am accepted in Christ. God has a plan for me. It's a good plan. He's provided for all my needs. He's healed all my diseases. And he paid for all my sins. He's forgiven all my mistakes. And I'm thankful. Father, thank you for your grace toward me, for your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.